All right, let's get into God's Word today, Hebrews chapter 8. We're going to be talking about better promises, the better promises really of the new covenant. You know, the writer begins to write here in Hebrews 8 to show us, make the case that the new covenant is better than the old, that Jesus, our great high priest, um, that he has a better ministry than the old priest ministry uh, of the old covenant. The, the covenant he mediates is a is better covenant, and it has is built on better promises. And these better promises of these better covenant, of this better covenant, they tell us a lot about Christianity, right? I love this quote from George Guthrie. He, he writes of this passage, since the new covenant is true Christianity, this passage, although not exhaustive, sums up the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And I agree with that. It really does. It sums up the essence of what it means to be a Christian. So today I want to show you the better promises of the new covenant and how that ultimately shows us the beauty and the power of real Christianity, what we have in Christ. Let me ask you, have you ever broken a promise? Well, sure you have. Have you ever had a promise broken to you? Well, sure you have. Uh, we live in a broken, fallen world filled with sinful people, and, and, and we're sinners too, and, and promises get broken. It's, it's election season, right? And a lot of times what happens in election season, are, are, are people are deciding whether they think politicians will keep their promises or have kept their promises, and, and they, they make decisions about these things, right? And we, we, we understand this as, as we go through this, as people make promises about health care, finances, and all these things. And in a world filled with broken promises, it's really easy to get negative and think nobody keeps their promises perfectly or nobody. And that we kind of can get even just sort of jaded in how we even view that word. But I want you to know something. God always keeps his promises. God never says, well, you know what? It just wasn't within my power to keep that one. He never has to say that. Uh, you can count on God to keep his promises. So when we start breaking down the promises of God today, these new covenant promises that we, we're going to talk about today, I want you to keep in mind that God keeps every last one of those. That if you come to him through faith in Jesus Christ, he will keep these promises. Look with me. Hebrews chapter 8, starting in verse 1. What we're going to do is we're going to make our way through the passage. We're really going to zero in on just a few verses today, but we're going to put this whole chapter in context. 13 verses here. So we're going to start in chapter 1. I'm going to read through verse 5, and we'll talk about it a little bit. We'll kind of make our way through the passage. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. So he says here, the, the, the point in what we're saying, said, let me get to the point here. Let me kind of summarize some stuff. Remember, he's been talking about Jesus as our great high priest. Now he, how he is the better high priest that offers the better sacrifice by dying for our sins himself on the cross once and for all. And then he says here that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. I love what Dr. Albert Moeller writes about this passage. He says about that phrase there, the right hand of the throne of majesty. He says this imagery is from the ancient world when kings would surround themselves with powerful nobles. And the person to the right of the king was the most powerful and the most prestigious noble in the royal court. Uh, what the writer is saying here is Jesus is so superior. There's no high priest like him. There's no person like Jesus, like the Son of God. And he then explains how Jesus ministers in heaven before God. 
as opposed to on earth, in an earthly tent. The Old Testament priests, they were doing things that served as a copy and a shadow. They were pointing us to something better. Jesus' ministry is the substance, not the shadow, not the copy. He is in the presence of God and makes it possible for us to come into the presence of God. He has offered a better sacrifice. He will get more into this in chapter 9, the writer will. How Jesus entered by means of his own blood and not the blood of goats and of bulls. and Painting that contrast with the Old Testament. And then the, the, priest, the, the priest tent in the Old Testament, he says, he says it was a copy. It pointed us towards heaven, toward Christ, towards the better high priest who was to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at what he says in verse 6. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no reason to look for a second. Let's pause there. Uh, this better high priest, Lord Jesus Christ, has obtained a better, more excellent ministry. Why? The covenant he mediates is better. Why? He says it's enacted on better promises to which he's going to share what those are here in just a moment. Now notice, he says there'd be no need for a new covenant, if the old one was faultless, he means it could not perfect us. It could not save us. It shows us our need for a Savior. It convicts us of our sin. But the old covenant couldn't take care of your sin problem. Hence the need to constantly make sacrifices for sin. It pointed ahead, though, to the one who would come and take our sin away. In the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 8. For he finds fault with them when he says... Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like, a covenant that I made, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring, out the land, to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. And speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So who does he find fault with, he says? He says, the people that couldn't keep the covenant, that could not obey. That's the issue here. Uh, it takes up issue with the sinner. And then he quotes from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 34. And it tells of the promises of the new covenant that would be enacted by Jesus, right? By, and how did Jesus do this? He, he came and he shed his blood for us. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 26, 28 when he institutes the Lord's Supper. For this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So, here in Jeremiah, uh, or excuse me, the passage he's quoting here in Hebrews 8, when he's quoting Jeremiah 31 through 34, this passage pointed out how the new covenant is not like the old. He says, because they did not continue in the old one. Th this one will be better. Then he gives the, those better promises. That's, that's where I want us to park this morning is on these promises here in just a moment. Then he says, he makes the first one obsolete. What he's saying is, it, it's so old, right, that it is what that word means, that it's not of use anymore. Uh, then the new one is here now, and so the old one is vanishing away. Now remember, you had people that were considering, that were reading this letter when it was originally written, Jewish people 
who, says that, who have said they have come to faith in Christ, who are now considering, maybe I'll just go back to the Old Covenant. Maybe I'll just go back to just following the Old Covenant and not believing in Jesus. And he's saying, it's vanishing away. He's saying, you can't. And he's saying, why, 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 would, you, why would you want to? <laughs> the New Covenant is so much better. Why would you want to? That, that's kind of his, his point here. That's his point here. Now, in this passage, although we learn about the connection between the Old and the New, we see that the Bible is one cohesive story is what we see here now the old testament and the old covenant is pointing us to the new covenant pointing us to what the promises that we come across in the new testament all through the old testament you see god make covenants right we can go back and you read about the covenant he made with noah or abraham or moses and god makes and he keeps his promises right he's he makes these agreements with people with with humans and he keeps his promises that's what god does he's a he, all through, you can see that. Old Testament, New Testament. God keeps his promises. Now, the people, the people didn't always do that. He says in Jeremiah, they did not continue. Here he quotes in Hebrews 8, they did not continue in it. The people didn't keep up their end. But God always keeps his promises. But the Old Covenant, its purpose was not to save us, whereas the Old Covenant told them to obey and what to obey. The New Covenant will actually provide the power to obey, Right? Where the old covenant showed them that they needed to be forgiven and, 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 and how ultimately that a sacrifice needed to be made to provide the forgiveness of sins. Uh, but it actually pointed ahead to there would have to be a greater sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, to really ultimately take sins away. And the new covenant, we find out that that's, that's done through Christ, right? That's done through Christ. It's a better covenant. It has better promises. And these promises give us a picture of the promises of Christianity. These, the promises of the new covenant show us the beauty and the power of real Christianity. As we look at them, it helps us better understand what we have in Christ Jesus, what our unbelieving friends need, and that we need to communicate to them. And if you don't know Christ today, it tells you what can be yours right now, today, this very moment, through faith in Jesus Christ, the mediator of the better covenant. So let me break these down for you. Number one, let's talk about the promise of transformation. Okay, that's the first promise, the promise of transformation. Go back and look with me at verse 10. He says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. God promises to put his law in to the minds, and to write them on the heart. What an incredible promise. This is about more, by the way, than knowing the Bible or knowing verses or memorizing Scripture. He's talking about internal transformation. Uh, there's a parallel of this that he gives through Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Um, it's a very similar passage, but there's some differences, and it kind of helps us to understand what he means here when he talks about writing things on our heart and mind. He says in Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27, and I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when you read the Old Testament, you see God's people always wandering away from him repeatedly. If you've ever go back and you read, um, uh, in particular like the books like Exodus, um, and you go back and you read, about the people in the wilderness and just their wandering uh, and how they would fall into uh, different sins and unbelief and, and idolatry and rebellion. Uh, you see this happening um, time and time again. And at times it feels a little bit like, you know, the, 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 the teenager at the youth camp, right? Rededicating their life year after year or season after season over and over again, right? Um, it, 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 it feels like this cycle. 
and 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 what we're what we need ultimately is a transformation. Now we always need we're always going to sin. We're always going to struggle. We're always going to need to come back to God and repent and ask His forgiveness. Uh, I'm not I'm not saying we don't need to do that, but I am talking about this idea of this unbroken cycle of just never really getting um, in line with God. Uh, being made new um, and, and, and having a, ultimately new desires, right? And a new direction of our life, although not perfect, um, trending towards Christ's likeness ultimately. As we see that begin over the course of a, uh, happen over the course of a life. Now, here in the new covenant, what God is saying is he's going to change people from the inside out so that they can obey him. Uh, he's going to give them new desires. It's not about moral conformity. It's about an internal transformation that's going to happen. F.F. Bruce writes of the constant wandering of Israel. He says, what was needed was a new nature, a heart liberated from its bondage to sin, a heart which not only spontaneously knew and loved the will of God, but had the power to do it, right? And that's a great quote. You know, this uh, past week, we had a... um, uh, in our van, um, our uh, battery just died, right? Went out to the garage, Christy did, to, to crank the car, and it just didn't crank, right? There it is, dead in the garage. And ultimately, uh, now you could jump that car off, and you could drive it here, and then jump it off again and, and drive it here. And at some point, that battery will get to where it's operating, not at all. Um, you try to make that battery work a little longer, but not much longer. At some point, it's not gonna, you're not going to be able to charge it at all, and it, it's just dead, right? Ultimately, what's needed is a new battery. It, it, needs, it needs a brand spanking new one as what the real need is. And it, similarly, you know, to think about it in, in our terms as humans, what we don't need is, is just a tune-up, right? That's not what humanity needs. What, what we don't need, we don't just need a, a slap of paint on the outside to make things look better, right? Or just a new board here and there. Um, what, we, what we don't need is just to be recharged. What we need to be is made new, uh, we need a new heart. We need to be made brand new on the inside. And that's what the new covenant promises us. That's what the gospel, the power of the gospel does. That's what God does when we believe on Christ. Listen, when someone becomes a believer in Christ, they experience real internal change. Yes, some things take time, but over time, God changes us more and more, and the power to change is there because God has changed our heart. He has placed his law in our mind and written them on our hearts. He's given us a new heart. He's given us uh, a new, uh, he's given us his Holy Spirit within us uh, to help us to obey him. And any believer in Christ, yes, can change and can become more like Jesus, and over time, will. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Very familiar passage says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, right? If you're a real believer in Christ, he is a new creation, not a tuned up one, not one with, you know, not, not an improved creation, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. See, there are a lot of people trying to be good enough, trying to obey many of Jesus's teachings without experiencing the power of Jesus's gospel. That doesn't work. We are sinners. We are rebels at heart, and we need new hearts. We need new desires, desires for obedience and God's glory and the power to obey. And the new covenant gives us that. Jesus' sacrifice has secured it, secured it. We simply need to turn from our sin and believe on Christ. And this is good news for the addict. This is good news for the one enslaved to immorality. This is good news for the one enslaved to unbelief. For those that are bound up in sin, walking in spiritual death, it is good news that you can be set free because you can be made brand new. 
brand spanking new. And believer, listen to me. Whatever you're struggling with, absolutely, yes, you can change. If you're in Christ, you can become more godly. You can break sinful habits. You will not touch perfection this side of heaven. But do not believe the lie that you cannot change. That's a lie. You absolutely can change. You can grow. You can mature. Uh, Don't believe that you can't obey and experience spiritual victory. Absolutely you can obey God and experience spiritual victory. Through Christ, you can do this. Because God's spirit has been placed in you. If you're in Christ, you have been transformed and are being transformed and ultimately will be transformed. Believe that promise. Take hold of that promise. That is the promise of the new covenant. One of those promises. Number two, there's the promise of knowing God. He says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people, right? This transformation takes place. We have new hearts so we can know God. We can, we can be his God and be our people. He says, verse 11, and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That phrase there, I will be their God and they should be my people, that has been God's promise throughout even the Old Testament. And God's desi- what it is is God desires a, re- desires a relationship with his people. He, he is saving a people for himself, for his own glory. And in verse 11, he's not eliminating the need there for teachers. The point is all God's people will know him in a real and an experiential way from the least to the greatest that all God's people will know God. The promise, that promise, he's saying, is fulfilled in Christ. When you trust Jesus, you know God, and you can grow in knowledge of God, and you will know God forever. Listen to what Jesus said about this in John 17, 3, in his prayer to the Father. And this is eternal life, that they know you, that they know the Father, they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That's the essence of eternal life, is to know God and to know Jesus. In 1 John 4, 7, John writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is ultimately what it means to be in Christ. It means you know God. You have, it's what it means to have eternal life. It means you're in relationship with God. You know God. Isn't it great this morning that if you have trusted Christ, you know God? In fact, he's put his very spirit, his Holy Spirit in you. You have a relationship with God. And Jesus is totally transformed you and is transforming you he's given you a new heart so you can know him and live like you know him by acknowledging him in all you do and don't miss this none of us has different access or more privileged access to God from the least to the greatest from the richest to the poorest from the most powerful to the least powerful from the saved the longest to the saved five minutes ago we all know God through Jesus Christ We all have equal access to God through Jesus Christ. We have the same mediator. We have the same high priest. We come through the same way through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know the same God. You know, when I was a kid, sometimes we'd watch the old Batman TV show. Remember that TV show? Now, it was old when I was a kid, okay, by the way. I think it was 60s, 70s. I can't remember when it it was filmed. But I remember uh, that goofy Batman show. There was this um, very campy, but there was this big red phone. Um, that the commish had that he could pick up and he could, the commissioner could call um, the could call Batman on that phone. He had like direct access. Now everybody in Gotham City they didn't get the red phone, right? But the commissioner he had the red phone. Whenever he picked up the red phone, Batman's picking up on the other end, and Batman could get to him, and he could get to Batman as a special line of access. And what I want you to understand here is this: in Christ, we all have special access to God. 
secured by Christ, a real relationship with God. You don't need me or anyone else to climb the mountain for you and meet with God like Moses did. You, you don't need to come to God through me or through some other priest. You have a high priest that you come to God through, and it's Jesus Christ. We have the same high priest. and He makes it so that you can know God and have unhindered, unhurried access to God. Listen, let us not take for granted the amazing privilege we have in the year 2020 of knowing God, right? Uh, when, when you feel beat down and walked over and looked over and neglected or discouraged or unimportant, know this, that through Christ, you know God. If you're a Christian, you know God. You have a relationship with God. You can, right now, you can talk to God. You can open his word and read his word and understand the Bible and apply it to your life and walk in obedience to it because he's put his spirit within you. It's amazing. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a relationship with God. You know God if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Don't envy the sinner. Don't envy the world. Don't run after idols. It doesn't matter how much more money or power or influence you have if you don't know God. That's the most important thing. And in Christ, you get that. He transforms you from the inside out so that you can know God. And number three, uh, the promise. The promise of forgiveness. The promise of forgiveness. He says in verse 12, For I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In the Old Testament, the priest would make sacrifices for sin, right? But then he had to do it again. Year after year, he says in Hebrews 7.27, He has no need, Jesus, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Then over in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, he says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. See, in Christ, we get Complete, utter forgiveness of sins. We don't have to offer sacrifice after sacrifice. Christ has offered himself once and for all. And whereas those uh, animals' blood couldn't take away sins, the blood of Jesus has made it so that we can be made washed. We could be washed and be made clean. It's incredible. Man's greatest problem, you know, is sin. It's our greatest problem. We're sinners. We deserve to be judged and punished for our Sin. If our hearts were changed to be able to made God be able to perfectly obey God right now, we'd still have to do something about all the sins we've committed up until this point, right? But Jesus has made forgiveness possible of all your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins. What we deserve is judgment and wrath, but God offers us mercy. He says He offers to remember our sins. No more. Think about that phrase. To remember your sins no more. The point is not that God has amnesia. That he's suffering from memory loss in some way. The point is God chooses to not hold your sin against you in Christ. Think about that. How would you feel if you had treated someone horribly? Right? And then you have to show up at their house for dinner. And then they treat you perfectly. Welcome you. Bless you. Kind to you. Generous to you. Your mind's blown. Right? You're like, I don't deserve this. Well, God has invited us into his family. 
even though we've sinned against him and rebelled against him. And in Christ, not, it's not to, he, doesn't, he chooses not to bring up our sin anymore. Not, listen, not because he swept it under the rug. No, because he dealt with it on the cross. He dealt with it on the cross. Think about that. God didn't forget what we did and like, like is in the sense of like, oh, I don't remember anymore, like, 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 like there's a fault with God. No, God said, you know what? I'm going to remember it no more in the sense of I'm going to deal with it and never hold it over your head again. I'm going to deal with it once for all on the cross and cast it as far away as the east is from the west and not remember it anymore, not hold it against you anymore. In the old covenant many times, you'd see people fail to remember God time and time again. The promise of the new covenant is God has chosen to not remember our sin when we trust in Jesus. What an incredible promise. The point is God will not hold it against us. If you're in Christ, God is not holding your sin over your head this morning. He is not looking to condemn you or punish you for the evils you've done. The gospel offers us mercy. It offers us forgiveness when we deserve judgment and we deserve wrath. And that's only possible because Jesus took the judgment. Jesus took the wrath so that God can extend us mercy and God can extend us forgiveness. Because Jesus died for our sins in our place. And God doesn't want a believer going through life, beating themselves up, walking in guilt and shame for their past. He wants us living in light of his mercy and his forgiveness. If you are forgiven, don't live like you're unforgiven. If you are set free, don't live like you're enslaved and imprisoned. If you have been declared righteous, do not live like you are under condemnation. Live with humility, yes. Live with gratitude, yes. And live with holiness, yes. And and live with joy that you have been forgiven in Christ. The forgiveness that is ours in the new covenant through Christ should should cause us to live in awe and celebration and, and holy reverence of God. Because Listen, we know that God's forgiveness should forever change how we look at sin, right? Because we know what forgiveness costs. We know the price that was paid. We know that our forgiveness, we know that God gave his son for us to be forgiven. We know that Jesus laid down his life for us so that we can be forgiven. Now here's the question. Let me ask, have you experienced this forgiveness for your sin? Have you been transformed from the inside out? Given a new heart? Do you know God? Do you know God? Do you you know him? Have a relationship with him? You walk with him. It proves itself out. And the fruit that we bear. Are you resting and trusting in Christ? Have you taken hold of these promises of the new covenant today? The promise of transformation. The promise of knowing God. The promise of forgiveness of sins. These can be yours in Christ if they're not. The great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And he has lived a sinless life you couldn't live. He has died in your place on the cross. Bearing the penalty for your sins. Taking the judgment, the wrath of God for your sins. He has been raised from the dead. And if you'll repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ. These promises are yours. can be yours. You can be transformed. You can be forgiven. You can know God. Do you know him today? If you don't, I encourage you. Turn from your sin today and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on him. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you've got questions about that, email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Or if you pray to receive Christ today, if you reach out in faith, you put your trust in him today, you turn away from sin and embrace Christ, let us know. We want to celebrate with you. We want to help you walk in your walk with Christ. Email us at info at gonorthpark.com. Believer, walk in the truth of your transformation today. Your knowing God, your forgiveness of sin. Live in light of these things. And remember, this is what our neighbors need. Our neighbors need these three things. And one way that we can help is by, is by, is by showing 
them their need by showing them what we have in Christ. You know, one way we can do that is, is we can forgive them when they sin against us because we've been forgiven by God. We can live different many times than they do in the sense of and, and the choices we make, living for the glory of God, living in holiness, bearing the fruit of the Spirit all by God's grace, showing them their need for transformation in Christ. We can live like someone who knows God in the way we talk about God, right? Not, not like he's some distant figure, but he is someone that we know and have a relationship with and love and obey. And we can introduce them through the gospel by sharing the good news with them. And let's pray that we'd be faithful to do that. And let's hold on and walk in the truth of the promises we have in Christ. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for all we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you that you give us a new heart. We thank you that you, uh, that you transform us, Lord, that you, that you, you write your word um, on our hearts. Lord, you change us from the inside out. Lord, you, you make it so that we can know you and have a relationship with you and be your people. You forgive our sin. Thank you for what Christ has secured for us. Help us to walk in its truth. Help us to share this gospel with others. And we pray for anybody watching today that doesn't know Christ, that today they take hold of these promises by turning from their sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.